Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of the Hunt, Lift, Eat podcast, brought to you by Hunt, Lift, Eat Official. I'm your host, Carter, here with my favorite co-host, the one and only Perry. What's up, man? Dude, I love hearing you say that. Your your favorite co-host. It never gets old, man. Never Did gets old. Did you hear old. how confident that was, too? Oh, yeah, it was beautiful. I, I, I love it. Poor, yeah. poor Luke. Doing awesome, brother. Yeah, <laughs> fuck Luke. Yeah, I guess. <laughs> Oh man! All right, and we're here with uh, our 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 email guru, team member. You can call me that. (laughs) (laughs) What's up, man? I'm uh, glad to be back, man. It's been a little bit. It has been a little bit. You're now referred to in my house as my wife's work husband. Y'all chat a lot. I talk to your wife more than I talk to you. (laughs) I know. She responds to texts a little bit better than you do. So I'm atrocious. I get it. (laughs) That's a pretty low bar, dude. That is. I'm not. That's good. exactly. I was talking to her today, and she's like, "Well, I can ask him." I'm like, "No, it's okay. I'll just call him. It's all right." <laughs> he's not. He's not doing anything. Luckily, I was looking at my phone. Otherwise, I'd call you back in two weeks. Uh, yeah, one hundred percent. Oh man, I'm. Uh, I haven't been this stoked about a podcast in a minute, Ellis. Dude, I'm fired up, man. Like, why don't you? You, ha- you have no clue how many times I've already kind of told this story just because everyone around me is just like, dude, you know, so it's, it's really cool, man. Really cool. I'm just excited. Why don't you set the stage for us, Josh, and tell us what we're talking about today? Yeah, man, for sure. So, uh, you guys that don't know, um, I, I live in Eastern Kentucky, uh, been here my whole life and, uh, starting back like in the mid, uh, 1990s, um, in Kentucky, they started a uh, restoration process with bringing uh, elk back into uh, back into the wildlife here in eastern Kentucky. So, uh, lucky me, and like, and we'll dive more into it. But lucky me, I, I finally finally drew a tag. Um, and uh, last week, uh, let me think, it was actually this past Sunday. So as we sit as we sit right now, about five days ago, I was actually fortunate enough to uh, to knock down a big cow up on top of the mountain. So it was a uh, Many, many years in the making, and it just kind of all came together as perfect as it as it possibly could have, man. And I'm just very excited to tell the story and just very, very blessed the way it all worked out. It's it's incredible. It's funny, man. You and I were both elk Gosh, hunting for we the were, first time. We were up in Ohio the same last year. Yeah, we day. talked about it a lot. Oh, yeah. we talked about oh, yeah. it the same, constantly. I was oh, in yeah. Colorado, and you were in Kentucky. I was having zero luck, and as soon as you sent that picture of that cow down, I was like, what the hell? I could have driven six hours north and gone hunting with John. <laughs> yeah, I'm serious, man. Save your money, man. Come to Kentucky. Forget Colorado. $10 <laughs> application, right, versus... No, Perry, we uh we talked about it a lot, man. Yeah, we me and Perry went hunting uh, for whitetails in Ohio last year, and we're just kind of sitting around the RV at night, and me and him and Ethan just, you know, drinking drinking beer and and just kind of BSing about hunting like you do at hunting camp. And we got to talking about elk and, and how they'd put them back in the state and how, how, you know, at that point I'd put in for, you know, 13, 14 years. I think this year I went back and looked the first time, um, the first time I put in for it, I think was like 2008. So you're looking at, it's about 14, 15 years in the making. Um, but, uh, but yeah, yeah. a, A little backstory. So, you know they used to have elk like all in the eastern eastern part of the united states and uh like in the 1800s um really just kind of due to over hunting 
um, and not really any regulations as people just kind of more settled the area. Uh, the last one was actually killed in like Pennsylvania. Um, and, and keep in mind, like when I drew this tag, like the first thing I did because I was so excited, but like I drew it in April and my hunt wasn't until the end of November. So it came in the Saturday right after Thanksgiving. So I had a lot of time just to kind of research and just kind of learn everything about it, which was really awesome. Um, you know, I found a bunch of articles that I read and I actually found like two or three podcasts from the people who were like really instrumental in like doing this big project. So it was so cool. But, uh, but yeah, anyways, so like the last recorded Eastern species of elk was, was recorded to be, have been killed in like 1877. Um, and, uh, they were actually like deemed extinct in 1880. Um, so, you know, years and years down the road, uh, it was like around like the fifties and the sixties, uh, here in Kentucky in the mountains, they did like a whitetail restoration process that went really well. And, uh, they did different things with different species that went really well. And then they kind of sat back and thought like, okay, what's next? And they're like, man, let's bring elk. So, and, and the whole process, man, it was just, just incredible how they went out and got them all here. And like, I can't even imagine doing that, but man, it was just wild, but yeah. So you fast forward and, you know, you go from, you go from that to, they're like, man, what's next? Okay. Let's, let's try to restore elk back into the, uh, back into the mountains here in Southeastern Kentucky. So it's, it's really cool crazy. stuff, man. It's wild, man. It is wild. When you say, and Perry can probably speak on this a little more with his kind of background and career, but when you say it's a long time coming, it's a long time coming, man. Elk haven't been in Kentucky for 150 years. It's wild, man. It since is. Before, and like, since before the Mexican-American War, dude. That's crazy. <laughs> see, here's the history teacher coming out on us. That's crazy. <laughs> but, like, when I was doing my reading about this, because I nerded out like you did, but, like, oh, Eastern big time. Kentucky, everything in Eastern Kentucky is named, you know, Elkhorn County and That's whatever, right. Elk, Elk oh, yeah, Creek, man. Elk River, and, you know. The, my wife, Elk, uh, my wife's family, people. my wife's family where they live is called Elk Creek. So, yeah, 100%. Yeah. But, so uh, but yeah, man, for sure, a, it's just it's awesome. Yeah, it's not a, I don't know, they're not introducing a species that is a non-native, right? It's not a non-native reintroduction. They are yeah. putting a species that is supposed to be on this landscape back because we completely extirpated them, hunted them to extinction. Yeah, and that's one of the things that they focused on too whenever they started this whole project and the idea of it was that they're not starting from scratch they really put a focus on that it's a restoration process and not just completely introducing something new. Um, but yeah, man, so kind of like their main goal for restoration was uh, they wanted to stock about 200 elk uh, a year for like nine years. So like basically you're, you have a goal of the herd is going to reach around like 7,200, like a little over 7,000 elk uh, after about, you know, however many years. So, which is roughly about, you know, an elk, like every square mile in 17 years, that was their goal. Um, but, uh, but yeah, man, um, you know, their first attempt, which was kind of cool, like they did almost like a trial run. So they brought, uh, like 29 elk and put them like down in Western Kentucky, like down in the plains, like land between the lakes area. And they put them on like a 700 acre plot with like a high fence. And, but their whole goal for that was just kind of like a trial run. And they kind of use that herd as like a novelty herd, like just more honestly for like tourism. Like you can go drive your car around down there and see a bunch of herd out in the field, but they're not like, it's not a huntable 
heard. So after they did that, I think that was like 1996. So after they did that, that was kind of like the, like I said, like the test run. And they're like, okay, we need to go, let's get this done now. And, and then they kind of started the process of going out and actually getting them and, uh, and bringing them here. Josh, talk a little bit about um, some of the historic land use in that area and why this region. So, we, so we've talked about how, you know, elk, elk uh, were native to this portion of the United States. But, but <clears throat> walk folks that, that may not be familiar with the history of a little bit of the history of the of the historic land use of the region and why this elk reintroduction um, has been successful not only in Kentucky but in numerous other states uh, where this is kind of occurring in the eastern U.S. You know, you, you mentioned Pennsylvania, uh, same thing is happening in, in in Tennessee, Virginia, North Carolina. Um, you know, and and what I one of the things that I find fascinating about this this elk reintroduction and and restoration um, concept is that it also is very much tied to a land restoration and land yeah. reclamation um, because of that that land use, which um, you know, just to just to kind of throw it out there, is was historically you know mining. There was a lot of coal mining yeah. and and other areas, and and as those industries have kind of fallen to the wayside um, in our modern world, uh, there's been a lot of opportunity to not only restore the landscape, or not only restore the uh, you know the, the elk population, but also restore the landscape along with that. So. What uh, just you know, what what kind of information can you share on that? Oh yeah, man, for sure. So, um, you know, you kind of mentioned it, but it really coal mining. So like, especially like from where I'm at, a little bit south of me, and all the way down, uh, you know, US 23. Basically, um, you know, and where I killed this elk at is the last county in Kentucky before you cross over into Virginia, over the mountains. So, uh, essentially, what you got is you've got a lot as the coal industry has kind of went out. You just have, you know, literally millions of acres of these old uh, coal mines and these old strip jobs uh, that are now just grown up. So essentially, you take a mountain of hardwoods. You can envision this. You cut the top off the mountain, basically for the for the strip job, right, uh, where they're strip mining, and you cut the top off the mountain. And then whenever they stop using that land for that purpose basically they just resurface it all and it, it really honestly it turns into grasslands so essentially you go to the top of the mountain and you get to the top and it's just all grown up like crp uh you know cutouts it's all grasslands and typically on these strip jobs uh because of the way they set them up you typically have a couple ponds as well so there's a water source so whenever they were looking at at bringing these elk back into kentucky um you know it actually the article I was reading, uh, you know, a few months ago said that they actually went up into helicopters and and flown around the state and just tried to identify some of the best areas. And they saw Eastern Kentucky and they're like, "Man, this is perfect because we have all this land." And it ended up being a, it's like it's over four million acres, which is wild. Wow. So like the elk zone actually consists it's over sixteen counties in the southeastern tip of Kentucky, and it's it's actually four point three million acres which is just incredible. So you have all this land that's not being used and you've got these critters that you want to bring in and it's just like, man, it's a no-brainer of where you're going to put them at. So, um, and honestly, they've completely thrived, um, which, which is awesome. There. They're supposed exactly. to be there. Yeah. Yeah, and there's a few hiccups too. Like, uh, so basically to kind of, kind of fast forward, like um, we talked about the Eastern elk that's extinct. So obviously, you know, you can't bring that back. 
But what they what they did actually is they went uh, they went out west, and uh, they went to like six or seven different states out west with these uh, with these you know livestock cattle trailers and just basically shipped in truck and trailer all these elk into Kentucky and released them. Um, so that's you, you know states? oh yeah man so uh, like you want me to tell you <laughs> do you got them history buff. Oh, I got him. <laughs> oh, listen, buddy. I got states. I got dates. I got the amount. Arizona. Don't try to out, don't, don't try to out note me now, man. North Dakota, New Mexico, <laughs> Oregon, and Utah. <laughs> How cool is that? Yeah. But, donated 1,500 elk. It's crazy. It's wild, man. So, like, the first seven that were released uh, was in 1997. Um, and we're actually coming up on the anniversary of that. It was on December 17th. Um, in Perry County, Kentucky, which is one of the counties that are in the elk zone, they let out seven elk, um, which is which is just awesome. And like it was a, a huge spectacle, man. Like everyone from the community and everyone came from surrounding. Like you're talking like 20, 30 school buses and all these field trips for there was a, an account that said there was over four thousand people there just to watch these elk get reintroduced into the land, um, which is just so cool, man. And and really before they did that. They went around and polled a lot of the people um, because some of the other states that had already done this before Kentucky, like on a lot smaller scale, had ran into a lot of issues like with farmers and, uh, you know, having issues with farmland and fencing and really just because the herd is destructive, especially if they move into your crops, you know. Um, but really, with how the land sets up in eastern Kentucky on top of the mountains and where they're going to be up on those strip jobs, you know, it was overwhelming. Like one of the polls that I saw, it was like 99% of the people that they polled in Eastern Kentucky was like, yes, bring them here, you know, which is awesome, man. So everybody's on board. I can imagine having 4,000 people there watching elk get released out of the first trailer, you know, up in the mountains here in Eastern Kentucky, man. It's, it's incredible. Might be the coolest thing they see all year. Uh, yeah. <laughs> if you're from yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah, a little tortoise, tortoise action. <laughs> That's another story for another day. That's Carter's, uh, home people <laughs> perry do you do you in your line of work do you do like these habitat feasibility studies so not it's, it's not our bread and butter um we inevitably have to do somewhat adjacent analysis on that um i i love i love that just the overall topic of habitat management and like you know if you had asked me if you'd asked me 15 years ago or when I was in school studying like what my dream job was, it was, it was just that it was, you know, kind of habitat management. And, and that's one of the, it's one of the, it's one of the things that I find so fascinating about the story of, of the elk reintroduction into the Eastern U S is, is, is like you said, Josh, I mean, it's not without its, um, you know, there's obviously a ton of proponents and a lot of advocates, and it's been it's been very well received uh, among the general public. Just because, I mean, who doesn't want to go out and see that herd of elk, right? Um, you know, who doesn't want to drive through the Smoky Mountains, Smoky Mountain National Park, and and have the opportunity to see elk? I mean, that's that's amazing. But absolutely, there are inevitable conflicts. And, and to your point, you know, the, the farming community, the farming industry. Um, the folks that are out there that make their livelihood and that are are going to have to deal with the potential conflicts um, that are that are going to arise, you know, they have they have a, a voice and they have a, a stake as well. And so I think it's one of the things that's so so cool about um, the way it's been done is you take a lot of these areas where you did have that that historic strip mining use 
And, and as you said, as that as that industry kind of fell apart, and a lot of these states were kind of tasked with with what are we going to do with these lands, and how are we going to take this area that has been um, seemingly stripped of any productivity, pun intended, and and try to do something with it. And then you know you factor in that it, it's not that suitable for agriculture. So it, it's like it's like you said, it's, it's a no brainer. It's the perfect situation for um, a large scale you know reintroduction of a of a of a charismatic megafauna like the elk with minimal conflicts to the farmers and and the the guys out there actually you know making their livelihood it's also helped the economy there in those areas too man like there's there's several sure. people that i know that have became guides and run guide services down there because they live there in those counties man i mean they got elk in their backyard so i mean there's yeah. a whole there's there's a lot more pros than there have been cons you know one of the main things that they were worried about whenever because they're introducing these rocky mountain elk into eastern kentucky which isn't typically the same species that was here before um they were worried about brain worms um which can be it's a can be very detrimental to the herd um they don't really have to worry about those out west just because of uh 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 basically just the i think it's like the cold i think i could be completely wrong on that facts are optional i don't know carter you got that one <laughs> <laughs> no man I, I think they uh i can't remember what it was it was the cold or whatever the habitat it doesn't doesn't have these brain worms there but that was one of the main things they were worried about when they brought them into the eastern u.s was uh if the herd could survive that but uh you know looking at the other states that had done it before kentucky it was only like a 2% uh, risk of these elk that were actually getting that brain worm. Um, so then they, they pulled the trigger on it, man, and made it happen, which I think, like like Perry said, the pros have definitely outweighed the cons. And it's, it's, very, it's very unique to be able to hunt elk in your home state. What I do know is, it is a, it's an immense success story yeah. from, from the point of view of <clears throat> elk as a whole. And, you know, people monitor Western elk herds very closely, especially in places like Colorado and Utah and Wyoming. Um, but these reintroductions on the Eastern side, um, you know, where these are native species, Kentucky is the, the poster child for a yep. success story with these because not only <clears throat> they haven't had the, the issue with the brain worms, there's zero cases of CWD so far to date. That's and correct. They monitor, and you can tell us about this because I know you talked to biologists ear off. Mm -hmm. They monitor the hell out of these elk. And not only that, not only does Kentucky now have a huntable population of elk up to, I think it's 16,000 in the entire herd as a yep. whole, which is wild. Um, not only sustainable, huntable population but they've actually began reintroducing to other eastern states as well they donated y'all donated a herd to west virginia this past year that's right that's right 20 or 50 elk which is that's how you know it's working and uh our team member jack he was talking about how he went and killed one of the first bulls in uh in virginia, in virginia. that's mm -hmm. what uh when i talked to him he said that uh the people that he was with said that his bull was actually brought over there in that herd from Pike County in Kentucky. So that's, you know, no they, yeah, yeah. so they actually came over into Virginia from there. So that's, it's really neat, man. And like you go all the way back history wise, like most of the elk that Kentucky got were from Utah. And whenever elk, they brought more elk years and years and years ago into Utah 
all those elk, like two thirds of them came from Yellowstone. So like you talk about the, you know, the bloodline and the history of these elk that are now roaming, you know, an hour and a half from where I sit right now. Uh, yeah. You know, that bloodline is from Yellowstone National Park, and I'm here in eastern Kentucky, which is just crazy how basically when it comes down to it, there was a, a handful of people that were involved that were really passionate about it and yep. were really stubborn about it and basically did everything they possibly could to make it happen, and it, and it happened, so, um, which is really cool, man, really cool. It is, and it's, it's a testament to Kentucky's um, fish and game department. And in in conjunction with you know organizations like the Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation, who was you know instrumental in the, in the initial reintroduction, but the fact that they've been able to um, to take this model and turn it into something that is gonna that is gonna by all appearances is gonna look like it's gonna have that that potential for sustainable harvest in the long term, and and the interest from the public in terms of buying into um, the tags and being supportive of the system, you know, I mean, we talked about it when we were in Ohio, like, dude, I'm going to be, I'm going to be buying elk tags up and down the Eastern U S for the rest of my life because, in, buddy. um, one, they're, they're relatively cheap to put in for and, and, and it's, and it's, it would be, you know, amazing to kill a, uh, you know, an elk like in, in Evan and I have talked about it and Luke and Carter, like, I would love to kill an elk in southwestern Virginia someday, or or in northwestern North Carolina. You know, in my in my hometown, or you know, in my backyard. Um, but also just to know that, like, it, it really is one of these success stories of conservation, and and how hunting is truly is conservation, and, and has truly been a, a, a you know an integral part of that success story. And that was one of their main goals too. Whenever they brought these elk over here, that they wanted the elk to be huntable you know what i mean right. so like it wasn't like the ones they brought into western kentucky as like the trial run of you know they're in a high fence and it's for tourism like they wanted this to be a you know a huntable herd so yep. you know the first bull was killed in 2003 so i mean you're talking six years after they were put out um you know they started issuing tags so because they wanted it to be a huntable herd um so but yeah man it's uh you're talking 16 counties and 4.3 million acres of land. I mean, it's 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 pretty it's pretty impressive. For uh, you know, for a historical context here, Josh, <laughs> I know you thought about this every second you were doing this hunt, but I wouldn't have been able to help myself. But you were doing what Daniel Boone was doing in the 1760s. That's right. The same counties, yeah. When he blazed the trail through the Cumberland Gap, when he created the the wilderness trail through the Cumberland Gap from Pennsylvania, and hunted up up and down there through Shawnee territory, and hunted those elk, you were doing the same thing, hunting the same hills, right? You know, there wasn't oh, strip yeah. mine all that, but the and it's not the same species or whatever. It was a subspecies, but like still. How freaking amazing is that? That a guy in the 1760s who was one of the, you know, greatest frontiersmen in our country's history was hunting the same animal that you got to do. And you're like one of the first on a list of people, the first people to get to do that again. How cool is that? That's amazing. Man, I tried my best while I was actually hunting. And honestly, after I killed her too, just to kind of not, 
I tried to make things slow down, if that makes sense at all. Oh, and, yeah. And tried to just really take in every every inch of it. Um, we, we I actually, I took my brother-in-law with me and, and his step uh, his stepson. and uh, So my nephew, and he's 12. And the only hunting that he has really done is squirrel hunting in the backyard. And I tried to just <laughs> explain to him, like, multiple times, like, listen, his name's Jackson. I'm like, listen, man just understand how special it is what you're doing right now i'm like i hope without me just telling you i'm like you just need to understand that not many people get to do what we're doing right now and what we're going to get to do for the next few days i'm like it's really going to suck putting in seven eight nine ten miles climbing mountains i'm like but you got to understand that it's pretty special what we're doing and you know i like i said i try to just kind of slow things down and really appreciate what i was getting to do and it all kind of came together, man. Like once I killed her, and we'll kind of get more into that, but like once I killed her, and once I found out that I had gotten a key to a gate, which was a little sideways for a little bit, I actually already started, you know, skinning her out because I was going to quarter her up. And because uh, that was our only way, we were about three miles from where we parked and uh, on top of the mountain. And I'm like, once I found out we had a key to a gate, and we were going to have access to her, I was able to just kind of sit down next to her and just kind of take it all in and take a breath and, and appreciate it. You know what I mean? And I, and it was, it was really surreal, man. It really was. I mean, I'm, I'm not a very emotional person, but it was, uh, it really was something, you know, it's, it's hard to explain it. And I'm, I'm still just kind of like, cause I'm a teacher and all my kids know that I killed an elk and I've, I've, honestly been able to talk about it all week long you know hey coach reed nice elk man i'm like hey what's up you know i showed him the video of me eating its heart now they think i'm a savage you You are so savage dude but but uh nah man it was honestly i just tried to slow it down and just appreciate it and i i think i did really good at that and just enjoyed it and tried not to take it take it for granted because you know like i said it took me you know 13 years or 14 years to draw a tag and you know there's actually people that have put in since 2001 or whatever it was that still haven't drawn so i mean it's it's uh it's one of those things man you got to get lucky and if you do if you do draw basically it's a five-day hunt so if you do draw you know you're basically full tilt from the second it opens to the second it ends because it's just such a rare such a rare tag how many how many tags does Kentucky allocate per year? So it, it's actually kind of went it's went up and down um, a little bit, just kind of depending on what they're wanting to do with the population. Um, so, like this year, um, everything I found in my research kind of gave me numbers off of last year. Um, but they give out like it's right around six hundred tags. Five hundred ninety-four. Yeah, so 594 um, total tags. So they actually, there's three tags that you can put in for. You can put in for a firearm bull, and they give out 150 of those. And you can put in for a firearm cow, uh, which is what I drew, and they give out 244. And then you can also, uh, you can put in for youth tags. So there's actually four of them. So you can put in for a youth tag, and they give out 25 of those. And they give out a 175 uh, archery either sex tags. Um, but like I said, I drew the, uh, the cow firearm. Um, and there's also another way that you can get tags as well. So like basically what they do is, you know, when you draw, um, 
they have it's in different units, right? So you have 16 counties, uh, you know, spread out over uh, over so many units. Uh, there's seven of them. Uh, one of them you're not allowed to hunt. Uh, so basically, units two through seven you're allowed to hunt, right? So once you draw, so I drew unit five, okay? Uh, or, or I'm sorry, I'm getting ahead of myself. I drew the tag. Once you get a tag, your next step is they have a second lottery. So you put in preference points, okay? So I could number one through five based off of number one is where I want to hunt the most, and number five is where I still want to hunt, but not as much as obviously one, two, three, four, right? So once you put in for those, you can put in for units. So I can, if I draw that unit, okay, I can hunt anything in that unit that's either public or private that I've got permission on, right? Um, now, the issue that they ran into with this was they've got a ton of private land that is just stuck, basically. You know, no access, old coal land, caught up in airship, whatever it may be. Still owned by the coal company. Um, so they actually created like a regulated system, which is awesome, man. So basically what that is is the people that have all these like huge, huge plots of land, um, It's they're called regulated areas. Um, so if you draw a regulated area, you can hunt that regulated area and anything in the unit that it's in. Okay, so, and they show you all the data with that, all the statistics, and you got to really be strategic of the regulated areas that you put in for. So, like, it's a random draw. So, like, for example, Perry, let's say, let's say you draw the same, let's say you draw a firearm bull tag. Okay, so there's only certain weeks you're allowed to hunt. There's a week one and a week two. And let's say that you put in for unit six uh whatever regulated area you can go back and look at the statistics from last year and see that they only allow two bull hunters in that regulated area well last year 72 people put in for it right so your odds for that aren't very good okay so if you miss it then well you just slid to your second preference and then it has to go all the way back through everybody to you again odds are your second preference is already gone so people get stuck hunting in random places that they've never seen before you know so you have to be really uh, strategic but uh those people that give those regulated areas and give those acreage uh into the elk program actually get uh landowner tax they get property tax so they get kickbacks so like when i killed my elk um i had to document what regulated area i killed it on because they get a point for every elk that is killed on their land and after they get 10 points they get another tag so oh, there's, cool. so there's really ways. Nice. Oh yeah, dude. So like for example, they give out uh 50 landowner tags uh for every 50,000 acres. I'm sorry, 5,000 acres of land who accumulates 10 points. So if you give and what they're seeing is they're seeing a lot of locals kind of pulling their land together and putting them in for these regulated areas so every so many years they get a landowner tag. So there's other ways to go about doing it, but I uh I basically found which I got lucky because unit five is the one that I put in for and I drew it. Uh, that's where my in-laws are from. So my wife's whole family's there. Uh, are the units kind of by county, Josh? Yes. Yeah. So they're all, they're by county. So like, for example, my unit is all of uh, what's called Letcher County. So that's where my in-laws are from. It's the south, southern half of Knott County, which is just to the north of Letcher. And then like the eastern half of Perry County, which is where they put out the first elk. Um, so they're just kind of sectioned off um so you're looking at probably it's like one full county basically bits and pieces of three to four counties in every unit pretty much um but there's a map 
Unit 5. So I actually drew a regulated area uh, and Unit 5. So I was able to hunt that regulated area or anything in my unit. Um, but, uh, but yeah, man, so I got really lucky. And like I said, it just kind of all – it just kind of all fell together. I mean, as as perfect as I could have drew it up, I drew it up. I mean, the only thing I would go back, and this is me being selfish, is that if I could have killed it a couple days later, so I could have enjoyed it a little bit longer. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> but that's I mean that's me being selfish. But you know, because it was just that cool. But I know exactly what you mean, man. When we were antelope hunting, you planned this trip for a year. You've been putting in for this tag for thirteen years. I remember Perry and I tagged out on the first day and. We looked around and we were like, what do we do now? <laughs> I wish there was more hunting to do. You know, I wish I had another tag in my pocket. Well, my, uh, my wife was really happy because she was, she was getting ready to come back to where we live to work Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. And I had already called off because my season came in Saturday, Saturday through Wednesday. So I already had, already had sick days, personal days lined up for Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday and ended up not having to take them. I took Monday off just so I could, I could, take care of the elk but yeah so she was happy got uh got one on the ground and got to go back home with the missus so every uh like i said everything kind of played to get played the exact exactly the way it was supposed to man well now you gotta walk us through it man how uh, did you how did it go down you were you using onyx to find where you wanted to hunt how did you know walk us through beginning to end yeah for sure man so like I said, I, I drew my tag uh, in April, right? So as soon as I drew my tag, um, you know, there's like a, a month to six week process where you're just really diving in and looking at all the statistics. And Kentucky Fish and Wildlife does a really excellent job at this because they put out like a YouTube series, basically step one. Now you've drawn a tag, you know, all the way through the process, all the way through quartering it out and getting it off the mountain. So, you know, credit to them. But so I spent about a six-week process of just really diving into the areas because I had a I had a pretty good idea that I was gonna want to try to go with Unit Five because just like I said, my family's down there, so I knew that I would have the connections um, and could probably have an opportunity to get on some private land as well. Um, but yeah, after diving into it, man, I found a uh, I found a regulated area, and actually uh, a guy uh, his name's Jim Bob that is good buddies with my father-in-law. Yeah, <laughs> and, uh, of course yeah. it is awesome eastern kentucky name i know but Love uh that. so jim bob is a uh, good buddies with my father-in-law and lives down there in that zone and uh he actually drew a tag as well so he drew an archery tag and uh and he hasn't killed one yet but i've still been touching base with him i think he's actually hunting like this weekend so but uh but anyway so he's like man he's like you're gonna want to put in for and he literally told me the regulated area that i should put in for because it's right next to his house and he sees you know he gets pictures of elk on his trail camera all the time and is able to kind of keep tabs on the herd if they've been in there haven't been in there so i went ahead i went with that and uh and kind of felt bad because i actually drew that area for my hunt and he actually didn't draw that area for his hunt he got the unit so he can hunt the public and his own private but he can't actually hunt where i hunt so i'm like dang but so anyways i drew i drew that area i drew the regulated area um i went down in june basically just kind of got boots on the ground uh walked around tried to just get familiar with the land look for look for sign look for tracks without putting too much into it because honestly what the elk herd is doing in june is not what they're going to be doing in november um you know we know that but uh really what i wanted to do is get down there you know 
put some pins on Onyx um, for access, you know, for trailheads, um, and just kind of get a game plan. Uh, so had a good couple first trips, came back in July, uh, spent another couple days on the mountain uh, just scouting and checking things out. Uh, found a good amount of sign. Actually found more bear sign than I found anything. Um, jumped a ton of whitetails. Um, actually got into some elk. Uh, had a couple cows come out in a row. Jumped a cow. Uh, so I left that feeling pretty good. Um, and then, like I said, I'm a teacher. So I started school and went about two or three months without really getting to go down there at all. And uh, I was able to slip back, back up there the weekend before my hunt came in so the weekend before Thanksgiving and did a lot of scouting and basically came up with a game plan of uh you know where am I going to start opening morning um so found a really nice place man up on top of the mountain and to kind of paint the picture you know you've got a mountain it's all hardwoods when you get to the top like I said it's all it's all grasslands but this one was an older strip so it was a lot more grown up so it's a lot of just like really thick just like nasty stuff man so I found a ton of sign on that first day, uh, me and my brother-in-law and, you know, my nephew. I found a ton of sign. I actually saw a couple cows uh, early, like that first morning, like 20, 30 minutes after daylight, but they were like a mile away and uh, and going through some timber. So couldn't really – we tried to make a play on them. Didn't really work. We got over there, and they basically vanished. But So we hunted that whole day on that first – a uh, little piece of regulated area hunted really hard man found a ton of sign felt really good about what we were doing and i actually ran into a guide um down there and i wish i could remember his name but um i ran into a guide like midday and got to talking to him and he actually helped me tremendously man so i was just kind of picking his brain a little bit and he uh he said man he's like honestly he's like forget everything you know and i'm like okay He's like, you cannot hunt these elk, at least here, like you hunt whitetails. He's like, just stop. He said, because you think about the home range of a whitetail, right? So when you're whitetail hunting, obviously a lot of factors go into it. I'm going to find the best looking sign, the freshest sign, and I'm just going to set up on it, right? I'm going to let them come to me. And that's what he he kind of said out there because there's not a great vantage point. It's like you can't really get up and glass much because it's just so thick and it, it, the, they cut the top of the mountain off. So you can't get above them. So he's like, man, he's like, if you, exactly if you, what you need to do with them, you need to get yeah. above them. Oh yeah, exactly what you need to do. So you're, you're yeah. eye level with them. They're in all yeah. this thick stuff. You can't hardly hunt them. And I'm like, well, what do you do? So basically up until then, I had just found some fresh sign and set on the ground. Like I was whitetail hunting, you know what I mean? And, uh, he's like, no, man. He's like, if you sit and wait for him to come to you, he's like, you might get lucky. He's like, but you're, you're hunting a ghost. And the way he explained it to me, he's like, if the home range of a whitetail, you know, is two miles or three miles, whatever it is, he's like, an elk is 10 times that. He's like, so you might have a ton of fresh sign. You know, they were in here yesterday, you know, fresh poop, bedding areas, fresh tracks. He's like, that elk might be three miles away. He's like, and it won't be back over here for four or five days. He's like, you got five days to hunt. He's like, if you sit here, you're not going to see an elk. He's like, you need to go find them. And I'm like, Okay. <laughs> He's like, they're a lot more forgiving than a whitetail. He's like, you need to get up. You need to move around. You need to slowly still hunt around. And he's like, most of the time, you can come up on them and all this thick stuff. And you'll actually, he's like, you'll either find them bedded or you'll jump them up out of their beds. And when you jump them up out of their beds, be ready to shoot. And I'm like, 
heck yeah, man, like that sounds awesome. So we, uh, I'm like, yeah, man, that is awesome. So literally we just, we took that approach, man. And, and I actually texted the guy afterwards and I'm like, man, I appreciate it because I wouldn't have killed this elk if I wouldn't have ran into you, you know, cause I completely, I completely changed my approach. After that, we were like, we need to try to see like every inch of this mountain and try to get in the freshest sign that we can and try to find them. And that's what we did, man. We just went out and found them. But we, uh, so we hunted, there was two small pieces of that regulated area. So one of them was called Barlow and it was like 127 acres. So it's really, it's small in comparison to the others. So that's where we started out the first day, you know, all that happened. Uh, and actually I was fortunate enough, um, like I said, that's where my in-laws live. So I was actually able to stay with them. So we go back to the house come up with a game plan for day two right so this is sunday of my hunt we go back to where we hunted saturday because right before we left before dark we actually jumped an elk coming off the mountain and uh i didn't see it but i mean i could tell it was an elk because it sounded like the whole mountainside was coming down and we found a bunch of fresh sun so we were going to set up there and there was one more like ridge line that we hadn't looked at yet so we basically did that stopped for lunch uh and the second piece of that regulated area is uh is another strip job and it's a lot bigger of a piece um it's like 1700 acres so for eastern kentucky like that's a huge piece of land um so we're like okay let's go over there after lunch um basically just kind of walk around see if we find any fresh sign and just kind of come up with a game plan for the next three days right so the only difference is the first property you've got gate access second property you got a gate actually there's two gates one to the property and one to like the county landfill that can get you to the top of the mountain and and uh no key to either gate okay so we park at the bottom of the mountain and it's an hour hike to get to the top of where we're going right so we're about three miles from the truck and uh we get up there and it's all grassland man so like i'm walking through this this grassland basically me my brother-in-law right behind me and you know my nephew right there with us too basically just slowly creeping through these cut out roads on the top of this mountainside and uh we basically walking through these cut out roads podcast what's up man what's going Look on at that dude ugly you killing son of a bitch ah. subscribe on youtube so you can see luke jump in everybody i just showed up in charlotte crashing at perry's tonight you guys continue come on hell i thought you were in louisiana joe dirt <laughs> anyways yeah <laughs> Anyways, so we get to the top, right? You're looking at the old strip job. They cut the top off the mountain, so it's all grasslands, right? We're walking, kind of still hunting, and just kind of creeping our way through these road cutouts. And uh, we're three miles from the truck, and uh, my brother-in-law actually looks down, and uh, on this road, you know, there's little puddles and stuff, and we're just kind of looking for fresh tracks. And we find two sets of fresh tracks. One looks like a full-size elk, and the other one kind of looks like a calf. And that's really about the only thing we had to go by. But we found these fresh tracks, and we're like, man, let's just kind of creep through here, try to follow these tracks, right? So we're walking down this road. looks like they're literally walking right down the road, right where we're going. And uh, we're walking down the road, probably 50 yards on up there, find a fresh pile of poop. And I'm like, heck yeah, man, it's on. So I actually got Onyx out, you know, shot out Onyx, drop a pin that says fresh sign because I knew that if, I didn't kill an elk. That's probably where I was going to start the next day. So I drop a pin, fresh sign, put my phone back in my pocket. Probably took 
20 more steps. And keep in mind, throughout this whole trip, we jumped a, a million deer, jumped a ton of whitetails. <laughs> Because they're regulated areas and they're not allowed to hunt much, and it's thick and it's just perfect whitetail habitat. So we're jumping deer right and left, and every time I jump a deer, I'm like, "Oh baby, it's an elk!" And I see a whitetail running away. You know. What are you but, hunting with? Oh, okay. So uh, I took two rifles. Uh, I actually killed my cow with a, a 308 Ruger, um, and I took a seven millimeter Magnum uh, as a backup rifle, basically just in case anything happened to my first one. Um, so yeah, so I've got. Got my 308, and uh, we're walking down this road following these fresh tracks, man, and I hear something to my right just crash, and my brother-in-law gets fired up and uh, says, it's an elk, <laughs> literally loud, it's an elk, and I'm like, oh, baby, and they kind of ran to my left, and I'm behind like a big CRP bush ride or whatever it is, and uh, I had to take like five or six steps to my left out into a clearing like where they're running. And I see, I see an elk, and I'm like, oh, baby. And it's facing away from me. Like, all I can see is its butt, you know, and I'm like, gosh dang it. So I literally got it in my scope, and uh, it's facing away from me. And I'm like, gosh dang it, man. Because it finally just kind of takes off, and I'm like, oh, my gosh. Like, there's my opportunity. It's blown, you know. The whole hunt's ruined. And I just look to my right, and the one that I was looking at was a calf. I look to my right. And I see the big mama standing there looking at me broadside. And I'm like, oh, sweet Lord, 40 yards. She's 40 yards away from me, man. She was huge, (laughs) man. So I thought, okay, never been that close to one before, right? So I thought the calf was an elk, a full-size elk, you know, still bigger than a whitetail. But to me, I'm like, that's an elk. It runs away. And I look to my right and here's something that's twice as big. And I'm like, oh, sweet Lord. So... My first instinct is to, as soon as I get her in my scope, I go straight to the top of her head because I was terrified I was going to screw up and shoot a spike. Okay. So straight to the top of her head. She's a slick head. Okay. So I go back down and I'm like, what the heck, man? She's got ear tags in. So I see these bright yellow tags in her ears. And I had an instant thought in my brain like, okay. I don't remember reading anything that said I couldn't shoot one with tags. Boom, send it. You know, I'm like, I ain't messing around. <laughs> so so I shoot her. And, uh, like, one of the main things that uh, on those seminars that Kentucky Fish and Wildlife sent out was, like, when you shoot one, make sure, especially if they're in a crowd in the herd, you keep track of the one you shot because they're so big. They don't act like whitetails when you shoot them. Like, they're so big. Like, most of the time, I mean, at 40 yards – double lung with a 308 she didn't flinch like she literally took one step one or two steps turned and just looked at me and i mean you can see you can literally see the hole and blood pumping out of her and she's just standing there looking around and i'm like that's incredible man so i actually shot her twice so i eject go back in shoot her twice and she takes like two steps and just crumbles and uh the most excited i've ever been in the woods man like, you see these videos of these guys, like, in tree stands. They're, like, shaking and freaking out, you know. And that my brother-in-law, who's right next to me, is still behind the big bush that I had to take, like, four or five steps to get to the clearing. So, he didn't see it. So, he's like, dude, he's like, they're big animals. He's like, you want to give her a minute? Make sure she's down, you know. And I'm like, dude, she's laying right there, man. I watched her go down. She's toast, you know. And he's like, you got to wait. You got to wait. And I'm like, she's right there. But, uh. 
it was incredible, man. I mean, it, it was it was literally incredible. And I I basically grabbed him, you know, celebratory hug, and grabbed my my little nephew who was being loud and sleeping and kicking rocks the whole time because he's barely hunted and he's twelve, you know. And I'm like, now you can be as loud as you want, you sob. And I'm like grabbing, him, you know, <laughs> picking him up, you know. But uh, no, it was awesome, man. So I'm like instantly, I'm like. I got to call my wife. So I FaceTime my wife. She's fired up. And I FaceTime uh, my other buddy, Hess, that I that I deer hunt with here, best friends with. And I'm like, oh, my God, man. So I'm like, okay, I got to get over there and get hands on her, you know. And uh, I get over to her. And my brother-in-law looks at me and he's like, are you allowed to kill one with tags and its ears? And I'm like, <laughs> huh. And he says, uh-huh. I get to looking. She's got a collar on. She's got a GPS collar on. And my brother-in-law says, are you allowed to kill one with collars? And I'm like, hey, we're going to find out, ain't we? <laughs> so, <laughs> so, were you nervous at all? Okay, so I was until I got down looking at it, and the collar and the tags both said, if harvested, call Kentucky Fish and Wildlife. Oh, phew. So nice. I'm like, nice. But like I said, dude, I'm a complete nerd about all this stuff. So of all the reading and all the videos and everything I listen to, I'm like, if I wasn't allowed to kill one, you would know you know but in a game time decision dude when you can't really see like i didn't even see the collar like she's got a huge gps collar on her neck never once saw it i saw the ear tags because they're bright yellow and you saw no antlers and and ear tags (laughs) because the first thing i did was go straight to the top of her head because i was terrified i was going to screw up and shoot a spike and go to jail you know and uh i saw the ear tags and i'm like send it but i uh so I try to call Kentucky Fish and Wildlife. Obviously, it's on a freaking Sunday evening. It's like 3.30 in the evening. Try to call Kentucky Fish and Wildlife, and it's the number they put on there is, you know, a, a freaking Monday through Friday 9 to 5 number. So I'm like, gosh dang it, man. I'm like, here, I got this elk up here with a collar on. I don't know what to do with it, you know. And uh, But you talk about the size of the animal. Like, I knew they were big. I've heard people say how big they are, yeah. but until you walk up on one, and that's a cow, you know, we're not even talking about a big old bull. Was there a big old bull? So I didn't see a bull, but I actually got, uh, when I put the trail camera up the weekend before I hunted, I just put it on like a fresh trail and got a picture of a really nice bull. So, you know, I didn't see a bull, but I talked to a, you know, I ended up, fast forward, I ended up having to talk to a biologist about the collar and was just kind of picking her brain. And uh, she said that she had worked on, you know, several, like, like talking 375, 400-inch bulls, like, this year. Oh so, I mean, gosh. there's some big animals down in there, man. Really big animals. But, uh, but yeah, man, so instantly you're celebrating. You know, you're calling people, fired up, having a good time, you know. And, uh, and then the realization, I'm like, gosh dang it, man. Okay, now, game plan. How are we going to get this thing off this mountain, right? So. Yeah. I'm like, my pack, I literally left my pack in the truck, which is dumb. Didn't, it wasn't even on my back. I was wearing my regular backpack, right? So I'm like, okay, just to get my pack to start carrying meat, I'm going to have to hike three miles to get my pack, and then three miles back, yeah, I'm going to hike six miles just to get my pack. So I'm like, gosh dang it. So we're calling people, and I call, so that regulated area is through like a lawyer's office in Pockville, and I call the guy, they have a land agent. And he's like, dude, he's like, I'm sorry. He's like, I'm three hours away. Uh, it didn't help that this was the last evening of 
rifle season in Kentucky. So everybody I called was busy or in a tree stand. But he's like, dude, he's like, I'm hunting. I'm three hours away. He's like, I can't get to you with a gate. And I'm like, gosh, dang it. And I'm like, okay. So the other one, the landfill, I tell my brother-in-law, I'm like, dude, I'm like, just keep calling people trying to get a key to that gate. Because if we get a key to the gate, I mean, you're talking a dirt gravel road that cuts back all the way to the top of the mountain. Like essentially I could drive a pickup truck directly to her. So I started, I basically made a dorsal cut, was starting to skin her. And was starting the process of quartering her out because I'm like, man, we can't sit here and wait. Like, it's getting dark in an hour. Like, we got to just start working on her. And I'm like, I'm going to keep working on her. You just keep making phone calls. And uh, a couple minutes later, he stops. And he's like, hey, man. He's like, just stop what you're doing. I'm like, what? He's like, we got a key to the gate. They're going to drive right to us. They're going to be here in 15 minutes. He's like, he said, you're good, man. Just stop what you're doing. And I was like, I literally looked to the sky and I'm like, thank you, God. <laughs> so I was able to just, like I said, man, I was able to just kind of sit next to her and, and just kind of take a breath and really had about, you know, 15 to 30 minutes to just kind of take it in, which was just, it was incredible, man. I mean, I just, I honestly was lost for words and didn't really. I think I just kept saying to my brother-in-law, we just killed a freaking elk. Like, we actually killed one. Like, we just killed one. Like, I don't know, man. It's just, uh, and it didn't matter how many times I said it, it just kind of seemed surreal. But, but yeah, man, it's, uh, we got a key to the gate, and uh, it was a guy that my brother-in-law went to school with, and he drove a, uh, drove the old Silverado to the top of the hill and directly to her, and uh, me and my brother-in-law, my nephew, and two grown men, got her in the bed of the truck and we all hopped in the cab and took the you know the 10 minute trip off the mountain in the truck and uh basically took the four-wheeler trailer off my truck and moved it out of the way backed my truck directly up to the tailgate slid her from one tailgate to the next hooked the four-wheeler up and headed to the house but it uh so like i said dude whenever i said it all came together and worked out as perfect as it possibly could have. I wasn't kidding. I mean, it. I'm literally blessed. Like I don't know how it all came together. Like there, there weren't many hiccups at all. So I mean, I'm. It's in, it's incredible how smooth it all went because like, you're talking three miles from the truck with two men and a twelve year old. You know what I mean? It's gonna take us a little while to get that elk off the mountain. So I mean, yeah. Versus drive a pickup right to her, and you know, thirty minutes later we're on the road with an elk in the back of the truck heading to the house you know it's it's wild it doesn't get any better than that i'm getting chills just talking about it man (laughs) i really am fired up (laughs) we're so stoked for you dude that was freaking amazing what an amazing opportunity it's crazy man it literally we saw that we we saw that picture you sent in the group chat of just like the the close-up view (laughs) a tease yeah the teaser the teaser picture So, dude, my service was so bad. I got cussed in the southeast chat, and I sent the other one too. But (laughs) I sent just to to kind of give you all some reference. I sent a picture, basically of my hand, just like in fur. That's when I was. That's when I was able just to sit down next to her, and basically just kind of leaning on her. And I sent put my hand in her fur, just took a picture, and then didn't say anything else for like an hour. (laughs) Because my service oh. was so bad. And everybody's like, what? <laughs> Somebody in the Southeast chat was like, is that a German Shepherd? 
what the hell, man? <laughs> Luke does that intentionally. He'll be like, oh yeah. Someone will be like, did you shoot? And he'll he did this on this last trip. He did it with Perry, and then he did it on this elk trip. And just he he'll say, just say yes. <laughs> nope. No context, doing. nothing. Yes. No, say yes. No, nah, man, it was it. uh, it was wild, man. And then my, I think I blew my my nephew's mind because I told him the day before that if I killed one, I was going to eat its heart. So we're sitting there, and he's like, <laughs> "You said you're going to eat its heart." I'm like, "You dang right, I am." I'm like, "Give me that thing." Oh yeah. <laughs> he's like, "Oh my god!" It's like, he actually did. Which you know? was huge, by the way. Oh, oh it's like a, a football. massive heart. It's like a football, man. Like I said, I, I showed all my students at school, too, and they're like, oh, my God, you're a savage. Coach, I'm like, savage. I'm like, hey, I'm like, Coach Reed's built different, baby. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Oh, it's awesome, man. But, yeah, it's uh, it all came together, man. Like, I went uh, – so I basically, like, got it back, and then we had to, we had to get in the car and, and come up to our house, which is about two hours from my in-laws and the county that I was hunting in. And uh, we live, like, kind of up on the farther, like, a no- little bit north of there on the northeastern part of the state. And um, I, ha- I finally I got a hold of the uh, the local Kentucky Fish and Wildlife officer and about the ear tags and about the uh, about the GPS. And I uh, he put me in touch with a local biologist uh, for Kentucky Fish and Wildlife. And um, I met with her the next morning um, when I dropped dropped the elk off at the processor and uh you know you talk about the disease carter you talked about the the cwd and uh the brain worm and all that and she was it was incredibly incredible man how diligent that they were about that whole process and all the things that they did like you know for example like she took out a, a section of its spinal cord to test for cwd and took out its lymph nodes um to test for like the brain worm and uh she took a sec had me save a section of its liver so here I am driving around with a Ziploc sandwich baggie of elk liver, just hanging out. <laughs> I'm like, it'd be a good time to get pulled up. Good time to get pulled over, you know. It's like, what's that, sir? That's uh, a sandwich bag of elk liver, you know. But uh, yeah, man. So she does all these tests and everything, and um, which was really cool about the collar. Um, she was able to check the GPS and like see where she was at, and I'm like, I'm like, listen when you can get all the data I need it because I want to like connect the dots you know what I mean like see where all she's been and kind of the history um but basically and this is incredible man whenever she told me this story I'm like you're kidding but she said the way they do that the way they collar these elk and this is crazy these Kentucky Fish and Wildlife officers kind of partner with like the National Guard and state police and they get in helicopters and they fly up in helicopters on these strip jobs and they get tranquilizer guns and they shoot these elk and put them to sleep. Huh. And then they put them in like those big like rescue wraps. You know what I mean? Like where like they could fly them and like dangle them from the helicopter. Yeah. They, they fly them over here to these biologists, right? And the biologists do all the tests on them. Like they pull a tooth for aging, take blood, do all these tests. And then they take them back on the mountain where they found them. They slap the collar on them. They take them back up on the mountain. The elk wakes up the next day and goes on about its life. So it's literally like an alien invasion. What an out-of-body experience. Dude, isn't oh, that crazy? So I, can, as hell. I can just see this elk. It's like, dude, I had the craziest dream last night. You know, but I'm like, she told me that, and I, my response was, you're kidding. I'm like, are you serious? But, uh, 
so that's what she said and uh she said that it had been at least a couple years since mine had done that um because she could look where they had pulled pulled her tooth and it was like completely healed you couldn't even tell she, she said she could tell just by looking at that it'd been a couple years so the next day um so she gave me her contact information and i'm like look i'm like i'm gonna i would love just to get all the information that you have you know from her just to kind of you know learn more about it she sends me a text the next day tells me uh that it was it was crazy how far the elk had traveled and she said she was going to double check it and make sure that the gps coordinates were correct but she was showing up that that elk had actually been captured and the, had been collared like two elk units to the west in like a place called pineville and uh i looked up pineville to where i killed her and as a, just a straight line it was 78 miles which is incredible wow. now that now obviously that could be over the span of her entire life but that's what she's like <clears throat> we're gonna double check on all of these because that's a, like she must have been on like a serious migration which is wild man you know yeah and uh so yeah i mean it's it's incredible and then i kind of look back at the guide that i ran into that's like listen man they move a lot farther than whitetails like don't sit and wait on them you got to go find them i'm like so she was captured and collared over here you know in pineville and i killed her in millstone it's literally as a crow flies 78 miles which is wild so they're just remarkable animals man just the size and the respect that i have for them now even more than i did before it's just that's what it's all about you know what i mean but just when you when you harvest something when you kill something that incredible and that remarkable and that rare just the appreciation that comes with it i think it's just kind of the uh it's that adrenaline rush and that appreciation that as hunters that we're all just kind of always searching for you know what i mean like all the failures and all oh, the yeah. all the crap that you go through and the you know all the suck and then you have that that success dude like that's what that's what we're hunting for that's why we do what we do you know what i mean like so i'm freaking hooked like i would go back right now and do it all again like that you know what i mean but um it's unreal man I, i'm kind of a loss for words i could talk about it all day but at the same time i'm kind of speechless at the same time i'm kind of in a weird a weird spot <laughs> you know that that first bite of, of elk steak is going to be amazing man yes i can't wait man i got all the people at school and all the people that i've talked to is like man you need to hook me up you need to hook me up i had a guy Don't say, give it all away. i had uh, a guy dude, say be, yeah I mean, man share I'm, some but be stingy I know, man. I had a guy that say, "Hey, man, I'd really like to have some tenderloin." I'm like, "Well, hell, I'd imagine." I'm like, "So would I." <laughs> you like and everyone tip. else. I'm like, "Are you serious?" You know. Like, hell, that's, that's the best funny. cut. Best cut on it, you know. But I, I've actually never eaten elk. Never had. Oh, you're in but for a, you're in for a treat, man. Everyone I've talked to has said that, but I've never had it, man. I, I can't wait. And I've, you know, I've got I've got a deep freeze we, behind me here that I got before my hunt. Oh yeah. yeah, I did. That's right. I have eaten milk. You, you had one bite, and it was delicious. <laughs> delicious. I think it made me stronger, man. I was deadlifting two days ago, and I felt a lot stronger. Here's an Elkhart. <laughs> it's happening. <laughs> I'm changing. I'm changing. Oh but man, no, that's awesome. It's awesome, man. And listen, if anybody, if anybody wants to put in for it, uh, Kentucky allots ten percent of their tags to non-residents. Um, it's a really cheap process too. Like, 
the three tags that you can put in for your your firearm cow and your firearm bull and then your archery either sex it's ten dollars a piece so for 30 bucks you can put in for all three of them you know what i mean so it's it's incredibly feasible now your odds are not good like in 2022 it was like ninety six thousand. i think people that had put in for it um i didn't see a, a, a statistic for this year i heard it was around a hundred thousand um and you know they give out roughly 600 tags right so what is that help me out 0.6 percent is that right um i don't teach math i teach maps well, i don't either <laughs> I'm, I'm a health and pe guy so math is not my strong suit so um but i mean your odds aren't good but it's incredibly feasible man and they do give out 10 percent to non-residents and uh you know it's uh if you ever do draw i would uh I would highly encourage you guys to put in for it, man, because it's, it's a remarkable experience, and the terrain is awesome. I mean, it's, you know, it's mountains. Now, it's not, uh, the elevation isn't as high as what you'd see out west, but it's really steep, and, it, and it's, and it's, what are you at? Uh, so I killed mine, like, uh, I was, like, between, like, 2,000 and 2,500, like, the whole time. I think, like, at the peaks, I was, like, oh. 2,500, so it's not bad at all, man, like, Perfect. Yeah. Now, it's not very tall, but it's really steep and it's really gnarly, if that makes yeah. sense at all. Like, if you're going to climb something, it's basically a wall. Um, so, yeah, so, I mean, there's some places that you can get into that you're in a bind. But, you know, yeah. being on the top, you know, sitting at, you know, 2,200 elevation, I can look to my left and see a peak that wasn't mine, you know, and I'm like, okay, that's another 1,000 feet. So, I mean, you can get in some, some higher places, but... Yeah, my hunt was 2,000 to 2,500 about the whole time, so it wasn't bad, man. I mean, it's, like I said, it's uh, it's gnarly and it's steep, I mean, but it's uh, it's not as, you're not 9,000 feet, you know what I mean? So it's it's a little bit more, you know, physically feasible of a hunt, but I mean, you can get in some bad spots if you're not prepared, you know? Hell yeah, dude. Well, we are freaking stoked that you got this opportunity, man, and even more stoked you were successful. Dude, like I said, sure. man, I'm I could talk about it all night, but I'm also kind of at a loss for words. It's still kind of it's still fresh, but it's definitely something that I'll look back on, you know, years and years from now, and and tell tell my kid about, and it'll be uh be really really cool. I'll be able to say, listen, well, I look forward to reading. Daddy yeah, I went look forward to read. Daddy went and killed an elk while you were in mommy's belly. That's right. Which, which is awesome. Yeah. <laughs> You're going to be old Papa Bear here soon in a second, man. Listen, bud, oh, yeah. it's coming in about a month. What a great opportunity. Dude, perfect timing. Things work out. Things That's work right. out. That's right. Yeah. Hey, and I was, be a nightmare. Hey, I was sweating it a little bit up on the mountain because we're two and a half it. hours I from was, our hospital. I she's eight months pregnant. Yeah, I went into Robin went into labor and I was fishing on Lake Lanier and I was like, oh fuck, uh, I really yeah, screwed dude. this up. Like she's eight months pregnant and I'm we're you know three <laughs> hours from our hospital and I don't have service. Like, ugh. So it all uh, it all works out, man. It's uh, it's sure. funny how funny how everything works out the way it's supposed to at times. For sure. Well, look forward to reading about it and seeing some recipes from you, man. Oh, heck hear, yeah, uh, man. What you're cooking with it. Put uh, put your tags in, boys. Oh, done. Listen, oh, yeah. you got you got a place I'll, to hunt. I'll be putting put in the rest of my in. life. I'm with you. I love you it. Gotta, you got a place Hell to yeah. stay too. 
Hell awesome, yeah. Man. Well, we're rolling up over an hour here. Perry, you got any closing thoughts for us, man? Dude, I'm I'm just so so stoked for you, Josh. I mean, couldn't have happened to a better guy, man. We were you were you tell me all about the the years of putting in for this tag and and how much it would mean to you if you drew. And dude, when I saw that picture, that teaser picture that you sent, I knew immediately that wasn't no German Shepherd. I knew you had it. <laughs> I knew you had an elk down, and I was so I was so pumped, man. So it was uh, it was awesome to hear the story. You can you can hear the the passion, the excitement in your voice, and and how much this hunt meant to you. And man, we've got we've now got two HLE team members that have killed elk in the Eastern U.S. I mean, how cool is that? Like that is cool. I mean, what and and I just I you know we talk about it all the time, and I'm I'm just thankful to to have been able to sit down and and been part of both of those podcasts, recapping those stories, talking to Jack, and and now talking to you tonight, Josh. Um, it's been really cool. So, man, pumped! Congratulations, dude. Well deserved. Thanks, brother. Thanks, brother. I really appreciate it, man. And really, that's the cool thing about Hunt Lift Eat because without Hunt Lift Eat, we wouldn't be having these conversations. And you know what I mean? And we wouldn't be able to recap exactly. And, and share those stories and the you know the camaraderie and the brotherhood that kind of comes with hunting and hunt with feet allows us to yep. do that man so you know with that being said uh sign up to become a hunt with feet team member applications are open yeah it'll change your Get life after it no exaggeration yep absolutely yeah if you're interested in this type of community and this type of uh bond tribe check it out see yeah. if it's for you it's special man it really is it's uh it's one of those things it's hard to uh hard to understand it until you're a part of it but it really is got something really special going on here and it allows us to have these recaps and share these memories with each other and it's uh it really is really is something i appreciate you guys let me let me share my story man i'm a old appalachian storyteller so i appreciate her <laughs> <laughs> episode what two we're talking about uh the tortoise from carter's homeland right we'll get an hour out of that easy <laughs> easy baby <laughs> little olive hill country that's right um would you guys mind if i gave a hard pivot real quick i have one more historical fact i want to share with you guys go Do for it man hit us i couldn't fit it in earlier you know and it's just been i've been like itching to share it all day. I, I, I saw you had something stewing back there. I knew you you were feeling itchy back there. His ears were twitching. Oh, yeah. Daniel Boone, right? This guy. 1869. No, sorry, 1769. Even earlier. 1769, he was hired by a, a wealthy man from North Carolina to go through the Cumberland Gap, Gap blaze the wilderness trail, and explore what becomes the Kentucky Territory, right? And he goes on a two-year hunting expedition starting in 1769. And it's recorded he killed, him and his dad killed over 500 elk and deer in that two-year period. He trapped over a 1,000 beaver. Isn't that crazy? (laughs) That's where all the elk went to. Yeah. (laughs) We still got a crap ton of beavers, man. Gosh dang it. Why couldn't he kill them out? And then he got robbed and lost it all, which is a bummer. But yeah. he freaking smoked all those elk and deer. That's nuts. It's, imp- it's impressive, man. People have been doing Isn't it for crazy? a very, very long time and having high success as it too. I mean, it's that's pretty. Uh, it's about as primitive as it gets. Yeah, it is. Well, you can see where the extirpation came from. But 
But cool. That's all I got. I appreciate you guys. What a great way to spend a Thursday night. Absolutely, man. Absolutely. This was awesome. Like I said, I appreciate you letting me share my story. Absolutely. Well, listeners, as always, we appreciate the hell out of you guys. We'll talk to you next week.